Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, you got to listen in every Tuesday to stay up to date on the most recent medication therapy topics. Game Changers creates awareness about pharmacotherapy and clinical practice changes that can significantly impact pharmacy practice. Every Tuesday, a new episode of Game Changers is published on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. And always remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare. The Department of Health and Human Services recently announced that pharmacists in all 50 states are now able to administer the full schedule of life-saving immunizations for children's ages 3 to 18. And as immunizations continue to build out, especially in this pandemic phase and what we are going through as a culture and as a nation, we know that pharmacists and pharmacy services are going to be more important than ever. There is a component of this that we talked about initially and the impact of mental health on everything, which has been exemplified and increased in the stress that's there for parents, um, for healthcare workers, um, anything and everything that could happen right now in our nation has been doubled up with the world of, of this pandemic, but also mental health in general. Dr. Monica Krishnan, uh, PharmD, talked with us back, back on September 4th and really kicked off um, this series called Pharmacist Focused on Mental Health. I'm Todd Yuri, founder of the Pharmacy Podcast, and today's episode will be um, also continuing with pharmacists focused on mental health. And I'm excited to um, introduce Dr. Bella and Dr. Gandhi. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. So happy to be here. So Dr. Bella, I was so excited to get introduced uh, to you from, uh, from Dr. Monica and, and her role in, in helping to put this series together. And I want to start out with you. So why the interest in mental health as a pharmacist? So um, as a pharmacist and a health coach, um, I work with clients to help them achieve their health goals, whatever they may be. So it could be losing weight to help with diabetes or high blood pressure, or or I may help them incorporate a few lifestyle habits to prevent disease if they have a genetic predisposition. So when we think of the word healthy, we oftentimes think of absence of disease or a person who looks physically fit. But when the word healthy is defined, it's actually a state of physical, mental, and emotional well-being. So in working with clients, I found that the prevalence of mental health issues is extremely high. So many individuals, especially now during this pandemic, are dealing with anxiety or depression addressing their underlying mental health condition, it's impossible to truly achieve optimal health and wellness. Uh, Dr. Gandhi, um, what do you think about mental health right now? You know, as a physician and an observer of myself and other human beings, I can tell you that in my opinion, all wellness is directly related to the state of mental well-being. I've seen this in every patient time and time again. This started early in my training. In fact, whether it was the gentleman with 
uncontrolled diabetes who found it challenging to change his diet or the lady with high blood pressure who couldn't find the motivation to exercise. I realized that it was what and how my patients regarded their illnesses or diseases that determined their ability to manage them. Our thoughts determine what we put on our forks and how we move our bodies. Our thoughts influence all of our decisions 24 seven. All of this in turn impacts our health. Dr. Bella, do you think that there's a stigma right now in mental health still? Absolutely. And it's so unfortunate. Um, I see it within my family and friends and often with my clients. I try to explain to them that mental health issues, whether it's depression or anxiety, can be related to trauma, but it can also be a result of a chemical imbalance in the body, just like we see in many other disease states like thyroid and uh, diabetes. It's interesting that someone will take a medication every day for diabetes and they find that to be perfectly acceptable, but they won't do it for mental illness. I mean, I think there's definite shame uh, or this feeling of personal weakness that's involved. And I think that really accepting what you're feeling and dealing with is so important. And sometimes seeking help from a professional who validates those thoughts can be incredibly healing. The other thing is, there's also this misconception that I see and that I hear in society is that antidepressants are addictive, which isn't true at all. It's interesting that many people, they'd rather take a benzodiazepine like Ativan or Valium for anxiety or sleep, which is actually addictive, than deal with the underlying cause or take a safer routine medication like an SSRI. I mean, what do you think, Dr. Gandhi? I couldn't agree more. I, I just wanted to add that on the flip side, I've had patients who only want to take a pill and not participate in therapy or make the vital lifestyle changes that we will be discussing in a few minutes. It seems like we're all wanting that quick fix and you know, taking a pill and hoping that uh, everything um, is, is okay the next day, uh, as immediate as possible. And I think mental health is so sensitive in, in comparison to even some other um, chronic disease states that, that as a physician or as a pharmacist, that you can witness uh, progressing with a medication therapy, the transition from heightened uh, to, to stabilization. And, you know, and, and now I'm thinking uh, of what we're all experiencing now with this pandemic. Uh, Dr. Gandhi, how do you think uh, COVID-19 has affected mental health? Well, you know, Todd, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, various forms of abuse have increased exponentially across age groups with the onset of this pandemic. It's due to interpersonal loss, stressors, and societal disruption. Especially at high risk, in fact, are the black and brown populations in our country, as well as those that are in low socioeconomic groups. Around the world, many people are suffering with prolonged grief and distress. I was reading some reports that state that with COVID-19, each death leaves approximately nine family members bereaved. So we can do the math here. If our country has suffered over 200,000 deaths, that means almost 2 million people are grieving, which is really profound. It's also important to consider the psychological risks for healthcare workers and other essential workers. Many are dealing with burnout, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Prescriptions for medications to treat these conditions have also increased significantly. 
Yeah, I mean, we're truly living in an isolated time. Children, adults, and the elderly, we're all struggling with this feeling of loneliness. I participate on social media every day um, in support of pharmacists and what they do in a myriad of settings, community pharmacy, health system pharmacy, the specialty disease states, uh, compounding, um, and even long-term care and geriatric focus. And I see the stress. I see the stress on the uh, healthcare worker directly and the pharmacists, the pharmacy technicians, and the physicians of, of feeling you know, really overwhelmed. So uh, Dr. Bella, when I think of this, what can people do? What can our healthcare workers, our pharmacists and physicians do to optimize their mental health at this time? So there's actually several things we can do at home. Um, and if you are having mental health issues and you can't get to a physician or a therapist and you wanna improve your mood, you can make a difference by implementing some changes in a few critical areas in your life. Um, so those areas that I like to focus on and that we'll be discussing are nutrition, exercise, mindfulness, sleep, connection, and community support. These areas are so important because sometimes a sad or anxious mood um, can be a result of sleep deprivation, blood sugar dysregulation, and even thyroid imbalances. So addressing these concerns can be extremely beneficial. Absolutely, Dr. Bella. This highlights the mind-body connection that we continue to learn more and more about. My sister is a registered dietitian, works down in a health system down near um, Melbourne, Florida, in a hospital system down there. And we've had conversations on mental health and the stress level that she can pick up the vibe that's there at, at the hospital with an increase in, in seeing patients and and questions from family members that are obviously very concerned and, and sometimes even scared. And she has said uh, that that diet and food and nutrition can impact uh, mental health. Um, Dr. Bella, tell me more about that. Tell me about more about the food side of this, nutrition side of this, um, a particular diet that you could even recommend um, during a, a time that, that we know there's increased stresses. So food is literally the raw materials that allow our brains and bodies to function optimally. So that's the first place to begin. Um, so our brains are intricately connected to the gut by something called a vagus nerve. So you could think of this vagus nerve as a two-lane highway where signals travel back and forth. I really like that analogy. It actually reminds me of when people say that they feel, quote unquote, sick to their stomach right before a performance or making a speech in front of a crowd, they will often feel queasy or nauseated and have to run to the bathroom. Yeah, that, that's exactly where you see that connection. Um, and a little bit more about that is that our GI tract actually houses something called a microbiome. Now this microbiome consists of two pounds of bacteria, fungi, viruses, which actually influence our brain immune function and our overall health. So these microorganisms are responsible for actually influencing the production of brain chemicals like serotonin, dopamine, acetylcholine. And if you look at the mechanism of action of the psychotropic medications that are on the market right now, many of them work by increasing the levels of these same neurotransmitters. 
So the important question here is, how can we influence our beneficial bacteria to grow and produce these neurotransmitters? And one way is through our diet. So, you know, there isn't like a particular diet that I recommend, but I do suggest eating a diet that's minimally processed and that is a whole food plant-based diet with lots of vegetables. So we're aiming to eat the colors of a rainbow for variety, um, good quality protein, like organic chicken, grass-fed beef, lentils, beans, tofu, good quality fats. Fats are super important. So think of avocados and olives and nuts. And eating a diet like this can dramatically decrease inflammation and help to transform our food. So I think we've all experienced how we feel after a meal that is deep fried and overly processed. I mean, it tastes so good going down, right? But how does it feel an hour or two later? We feel a little bit sluggish. We feel a little bit tired. While the opposite is true, if we're eating something super healthy, like if we're having a, a salad with grilled fish, we kind of tend to feel full of energy and a little more vibrant. So, so true, Dr. Bella. I was just thinking if we um, sit back and pay attention, we notice these slight nuances and differences within ourselves. I just feel like the way our microbiome functions is so fascinating. And just to put things in perspective, the tubing of our intestines is about 27 feet long in an adult, while the absorbing part is about the size of a tennis court. So keeping it running smoothly has a big impact on our health. And also, I just wanted to share the sugar high concept that came to mind. We've all seen the change in behavior of kids after eating cake at a birthday party, right? They're bouncing off the wall, then comes the crash and the meltdowns. It is so important to empower ourselves with the knowledge that we can influence our mood with the right foods. The last point I also wanted to make was that poor nutrition can cause inadequate levels of important vitamins and nutrients in our bodies. Some examples would be the B vitamins and vitamin D3. Yeah, I mean, I think um, vitamin D3 levels um, are probably low in so many people around the world. So that's definitely something to think about. Um, and I know as I talk about diet, it can seem... Um, like a monumental task to kind of overhaul your diet. But truly, I think that these simple changes can make a really big difference. Like, you know, switching to water from sugary drinks or aiming to eat at least one vegetable at each meal. I mean, the point here is just to start somewhere and you will definitely start to see the benefits over time. When I'm stressed out from a very busy week, which has, you know, I feel like that's increased uh, with with this pandemic and what's expected of me as a as a father, um, husband, somebody who's trying to help our school board uh, change uh, the community itself. And then this publication, it, the publication is just growing so quickly. I love taking a walk on a weekend. We have a place down in southwestern Pennsylvania called Ohio Pile, which is um uh, you know, right alongside a walking trails that has flowing uh, river and it's just so relaxing. So immediately, um, I'm thinking, uh, Dr. Bella, that exercise must play a role. Can can you expand on that? 
Absolutely. And, you know, your um, talking about your beautiful walk reminds me of when this pandemic started, how I started to explore all the different parks in my neighborhood that I hadn't like visited since my kids were babies, which is over a decade ago. Um, but yes, exercise is absolutely important. I mean, when you're exercising, you're creating so many changes in the brain. You're releasing chemicals like dopamine and tryptophan. And tryptophan is a precursor to serotonin, which I had spoken about. And you also release something called BDNF, um, which helps neural growth and is what really um, the factor that helps keep your memory sharp. So Exercising promotes feelings of calm and well-being. It releases stress. And studies actually show that exercise can treat mild to moderate depression as effectively as antidepressants without side effects. Now, I understand that with COVID-19, our lifestyles have been dramatically disrupted. And many of us have become more sedentary than ever. I mean, we wake up in the morning and we literally log onto our computers <laughs> For work and we or school and we stayed there all day long, so I I I completely understand that the places we used to visit for exercise like the gym or a yoga studio or a spinning studio may be closed or you may not feel comfortable going there anymore if it is open. But it's really important that we figure out other ways to move. So. One suggestion and something you mentioned was to go on a walk or run every day. Um, I found this fascinating study uh, that was done at Harvard School of Public Health, which found that just running for 15 minutes a day, walking for an hour reduces the risk for major depression by 26%. I mean, that's astounding, right? And it's totally free. Um, and it's just something we can do very easily. But I, I do understand that not all climates um, allow for this. So if getting outside isn't possible, um, consider doing a YouTube workout, right? It's totally free. It's in the privacy of your own home. And if you've wondered about doing Zumba or a CrossFit class, uh, this is the time to try it out. Everything's on YouTube and it's absolutely free. And you literally can start with a quick 20-minute workout to build up a sweat and to to release some of those amazing neurotransmitters. And another thing I always suggest, which is super easy to do, and uh, I'm always telling my clients this, is that when you're running errands, park your cars farther away from your destination and walk, right? Um, or if you have to take an elevator, go find the stairs and take the stairs. Every little thing counts, you know. Exercise is possible. You can do it. You just have to prioritize it. And it's just starting somewhere, right? I mean, what do you think, Dr. Gandhi? I think it's all just excellent advice, Dr. Bella. And Todd, I have to say, after your description, I really need to visit that area you were talking about. It sounds beautiful. I was just share with you what my family and my patients have done. Um, we've definitely gone on more family walks than ever. I think my dog is the most happy about that. We've been going on bike rides. And honestly, it had been years since I myself had ridden a bike. And thankfully, as they say, you never forget. Um, I know many people have invested in home exercise equipment and are working out virtually with friends to perhaps add in the social component. 
it's not easy, but we can do this. We just have to get creative and be willing to try new things. Dr. Bella, what other practices are you recommending? We're talking about exercise, and but is there other things that, that you should recommend to, to healthcare workers, pharmacists, but also patients? Yes. Um, so the number one thing I think that everyone is facing right now is stress. Stress management is huge. Um, there are many different stressors in our lives right now. And for many of these current issues, we don't know when there's going to be an end, right? We don't know when the pandemic is going to end. Um, we don't know when our children will safely go to school every single day. So we need to accept that sometimes we can't change our stressors, but we can change how we respond to it, okay? So the way in which we respond to a stress is what truly starts to change our physiology. For example, so just two hours of chronic stress, like being in fight and flight, can alter your microbiome negatively. So the big question here is, how can we move away from a state of fight or flight where we're releasing cortisol levels all day long and move into a state of relaxation? And for me, um, that the answer to that is really through meditation and mindfulness and breath work. Meditation, or rather practicing mindfulness, is really, just to simplify it, it's really just being in the present moment, whether it's immersing yourself in dance or art or a sport. Um, it's just the act of having your past and your future dissipate in that moment. So you're just really being in that moment. So find that activity that puts you in that moment, in that, in that space. Um, the other thing I love is guided meditations. You know, those can be really access, easily accessed through apps like Headspace or Calm or even through YouTube. I mean, this is how I started my meditation practice was through these guided, guided meditations. And another really quick way to access your parasympathetic response, which is your relaxation response, is through your breath. So oftentimes we are breathing in the chest area with our mouths open, but really let's think about taking a deep breath where your mouth is closed and you are breathing in and out of your nose. And so when you're doing this type of breath, you want to inhale and exhale through your nose and you can try something very simple. So it's an inhalation to four and an exhalation to six. And just by having that longer exhalation, you're literally activating the relaxation response in your body. So I think doing a practice like this for five minutes every day can really make a difference. Or, I mean, just consider doing this when you're at a stop sign or at a red light or when you're about to go to sleep at night. Just do a few of these and it'll really put you into a relaxed space. And the thing is, these practices are so essential in strengthening that resiliency muscle that you have. So when you work on your stress response on a daily basis, over time, you'll see that the way you respond to a particular stressor has now changed. It's a little bit different. You're not as responsive. You're able to ride the wave a little bit better than you had before you started the practice. And this can make a difference in your overall health and especially for those individuals with anxiety. 
I was just doing the breathing technique that you described, Dr. Bella, and I feel more relaxed. This might be great to do before bedtime. We're going to be talking about sleep in a few minutes because a lot of people have faced some disruption in their sleep. I also think these are great tips for anyone who's apprehensive or perhaps intimidated by terms like mindfulness and meditation. So thank you for that. And also I wanted to add in regards to stress management, the idea of getting outside. Various studies show that spending time outdoors in nature can lower cortisol levels and bring down our stress levels. And like Dr. Bella said before, you can incorporate being outside into exercise and maybe even do this safely with a friend to make it more enjoyable. The next recommendation I have in regards to being in nature would be to have safe sunlight exposure. And so what I mean by this is that you're wearing your sunscreen and protective clothing and hats, and of course not sunbathing. We know that sunlight exposure helps our mood. Research shows that decreased exposure to sunlight decreases our serotonin levels. And for some people, this can even lead to seasonal affective disorder. Decreased sunlight exposure also causes decreased vitamin D3 levels, which leads to decreased dopamine and serotonin, which also affects our mood. And lastly, as we're wrapping up our recommendations on stress management, I wanted to share something that I advise to patients, family, friends. Be choosy with your diet. And by your diet, I'm not just talking about the food you choose to eat, as Dr. Bella has outlined before. I'm talking about everything else you ingest and consume, what you watch, the people you spend time with, the music you listen to, what you read. So for example, I would invite our listeners to pay attention to themselves and perhaps ask, are you feeling more tense after seeing post after post on social media about COVID-19? It's one thing to be well-informed and another to have a pervasive sense of doom and angst and fear. We have to remember that from an evolutionary perspective, detecting danger is protective. Feeling fear can in fact save one's life. But having said that, it can also lead to anxiety. It can be why we constantly click on certain headlines or can't stop watching the news cycle. In my opinion, for your mental well-being, it is not only okay, but it is in the best interest of your health to take breaks. The concentration of science that you've both brought to this conversation is just incredible. So much appreciate this. We've talked about uh, mental health and how our diet and how exercise can impact this. Um, one third of American adults are not getting enough sleep. And in fact, sleeplessness in America is so bad that the CDC actually declared it one of the biggest health challenges of our modern era. And with COVID-19 and this pandemic, it's increased. Myself, um, picking on myself, I know that in production and some of the, um, the, the topics that we've covered, um, I've been anxious about getting things perfect. I find myself waking up at you know, three, four in the morning, um, I might have to use the restroom or something, but I get tempted to check my phone and that is an absolute no-no. But Dr. Gandhi, can you expand on the effect that sleep has for our mental health and our mood? 
Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that, Todd. I think a lot of us have experienced what you're experiencing. Sleep just may be the most undervalued component of a healthy lifestyle, and it has a direct impact on one's mood. I think sleep might be the first thing that we sacrifice. So we know that having inadequate sleep or poor quality of sleep can cause irritability, it can cause poor coping skills, which can then lead to other issues. It's just a domino effect. So when optimizing a patient's sleep, it's really important to consider what issues might be making it difficult. For example, if a person is having trouble falling or staying asleep, such as insomnia, what is the cause? Could it be anxious thoughts? Could it be depression? And also people who snore or perhaps seem to stop breathing while sleeping or wake up spontaneously should be considered for a workup for sleep apnea. So this brings me to sleep hygiene. There are a few key components to optimizing your sleep. So the first part of this is bed hygiene. The bed is for sleeping. Reading is okay as long as it's an actual physical book that is not a thriller or a mystery. It should be relaxing. And another thing is no TV watching while in bed. So I know a lot of people say, well, you know, I, the white noise, it helps me. There's a part of that that actually stimulates your brain. So it's really important to not watch TV in bed. Also with the pandemic, you know, I think people's work schedules have changed. A lot of people are working from home and sometimes it feels comfortable and cozy perhaps to bring your laptop on your bed. Um, maybe you're eating a snack on your bed and, and then it, this becomes kind of something that I, I get worried about with patients is the bed again needs to be associated with sleep. So there's no working, there's no TV, there's no eating. My next point in sleep hygiene is to talk about liquids. So it's really important to have them earlier so you don't have to get up and urinate overnight like what you were saying, Todd. If that doesn't work, sometimes it's important to think about why you're having to get up and do that. Could it be a medical condition that's starting up? Could it be the medications you're taking? So that's something important to bring up with your pharmacist or your healthcare provider, your physician. Caffeine can be both a stimulant and a diuretic. So meaning it can keep you up as well as it can make you have to pee. So definitely think about how much caffeine consumption you're having, when is your last caffeinated beverage and that type of thing. Alcohol can be sedating as well as a stimulant. So I, I know sometimes people feel like they might have a, a drink of, or a glass of wine and they feel like it makes them sleepy. But what we don't realize is that it can actually act like a stimulant and be disruptive to your sleep. So it's just really important to be really mindful and careful about your conception of alcohol and the timing of it. Dr. Right. Bella, perhaps you could talk about devices because that's another big um, issue. Kind of mentioned his temptation in the middle of the night <laughs> to pick up his device <laughs> and check it out. But um, as you were um, saying, Todd, this is an absolute no-no. So every single device we use, whether it's our television, our iPad, our iPhone, um, and even certain Kindle devices, they all emit 
of something called a blue light, okay? And this blue light directly affects our brains and it causes a decrease in melatonin secretion. So melatonin is what tells our body that it's evening and it's time to go to sleep. So you definitely want to keep those levels intact. Um, So it's very important to stop the use of all of your devices 30 to 60 minutes before bed. The other thing, um, exercise I mentioned is amazing, right? But be cognizant of when we're doing our exercise. So you don't want to do this intense workout right before bed because that's going to be very stimulating and you're going to have a hard time sleeping. Um, And so that brings me to timing of sleep. You know, timing is very important. And I know that with this pandemic, we've got erratic schedules, but If you're having trouble sleeping or really want to optimize that sleep, start scheduling in your bedtime and your wake-up time. And that is what is really going to help set that internal body clock. Your internal circadian rhythm is going to sleep at a certain time and waking up at a certain time every single day. And you really need to shoot for seven to eight hours every night. So that's something to think about. I know it shocks people, but we do need that much sleep. Yes, Bella, I completely agree. I think we really need to go back to the basics when it comes to sleep. So along those lines, we need to establish a sleeping time routine. So for listeners who are parents, we know that um, this is really imperative for our children. And perhaps we recall this from our own childhood Let's talk about the concept of bedtime. How do we put babies and young kids to sleep? We make sure they're well fed, that they've had adequate exercise and activity during the day. We give them a relaxing bath. We change them into some comfortable clothing. Maybe there's some lavender involved. We sing lullabies and play relaxing music. We connect and read bedtime stories together. Unfortunately, as adults, we are just on the go and we forget these essential rituals that have helped us fall asleep when we were young. And I think it's high time to bring them back. I love that. Like I said, I, it's just been amazing to, to really dive into this and understand this um, very meaningful block and tackle technique that listening to this podcast in this interview, um, I'm going to go back and listen again because there's so much that can be learned. You know, I'm big into, as I said, social media because how um, I find myself connected with pharmacists across the nation and have developed friendships through direct messaging and support, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, and and even picking up the phone and calling uh, certain pharmacists for advice, uh, building out topics for our podcast content. So that's my community. However, I know that there's an aspect of my physical community as I've tried to assist the growing of my um, my hometown, which is Brownsville, Pennsylvania, in the greater Pittsburgh area, and how important community is and, and how important it is to smile at someone when I'm at the grocery store or open the door or say something that's uplifting, especially when we're all covered, our faces are covered. I always smile at people and I have my mask on at the grocery store and realize, oh, they don't even know I'm smiling, but maybe they can see it in my eyes. So Dr. Gandhi, 
Why is the connection and community important, um, even you know, in, in a time where we want a social distance? But why is that important? You know, it's so important, Todd, because as human beings, we are wired for connection. We are not solitary creatures. Our listeners are probably familiar with the blue zones. There's about five blue zones in the world, and these are areas in the world with the highest percentages of healthy centenarians. We actually have a blue zone in the U.S., in Loma Linda, California. And part of their success is due to their sense of community and interconnectedness that they feel. Um, I personally... I mean, this situation, this pandemic has been extremely isolating for everyone, right? All, all ages um, and every single person out there globally. Um, I personally have missed seeing my friends, my family, my coworkers. Um, and so making plans to see them virtually <laughs> has really uplifted my days, right? So um, I think about what Dr. Gandhi said, you know, humans are wired for connection. So it is really important that we make an effort to see our loved ones. I mean, use technology in your favor, right? Um, like you were saying, Todd, you're reaching out through Instagram. I mean, I learned what house party was and I started to see my friends on that. You know, I use FaceTime. I use Zoom to see friends. Um, all of those things have incredible just to have a conversation to see others smile to have a laugh together about something um it's been really important and i hope that others are doing the same i've really enjoyed the conversation with with both of you dr bella and dr gandhi it's been eye-opening and it's been extremely educational i know it's going to help our listeners think about themselves in this stressful time, but also think about their patients and, and having that an, another layer of empathy and the impact of mental health on those other chronic conditions that are, um, that are part of what is healthcare and being a pharmacist and being a provider. In conclusion, uh, Dr. Gandhi, what advice would you give someone who is really struggling right now? That's a great question, Todd. The first thing I would recommend is for them to reach out to a loved one or call a hotline or your healthcare provider for help. And my second piece of advice would be to be honest and to be open. So when, what I mean by saying to be honest, first of all, it really means being honest with yourself about what's going on internally and externally. And then Really be honest with your pharmacist, your physician, your healthcare provider. This only helps you as well as helps them help you. My second part in that is to please be open to everything in the toolbox. So the key is to think of everything that Dr. Bella and I and you have mentioned earlier, as well as um, your healthcare providers and your pharmacists as tools. I really also want to highlight therapy and medication. There is a role for both of these. Sometimes the stigma that Dr. Bella was explaining to us share, scares people away from medication that could actually greatly benefit them. I've had patients who are so emotionally paralyzed with their anxiety or depression, for example, 
that taking medication actually helped them get over that hump, so to speak. And then they were able and willing to incorporate the lifestyle modifications that we had discussed earlier. It's really about balance and what works for you, not your sister, not your neighbor, not someone famous. So as pharmacists, um, especially community or AmCare pharmacists, we're in a unique position to empower our patients um, by acknowledging their struggle with mental health and by suggesting a few of these simple lifestyle changes, you can really help individuals improve their mental well-being and as a result, improve their overall health outcome. Once again, I just want to thank both of you for participating in Pharmacists uh, Focused on Mental Health. This is going to continue to really attract other pharmacists out there who have thought, wow, maybe this is a specialty that I'd like to get into. And Dr. Bella, you're uh, an inspiration for pharmacists where you've been a certified holistic health coach and you've really focused on mental health and it makes sense. And bringing uh, Dr. Gandhi has been a, a huge advantage, not only to the Pharmacy Podcast Network, but to our listeners of being able to hear the interaction between pharmacist and physician. That's the way it's supposed to be. Thank you so much, Todd and Dr. Bella. I agree with you. We are all part of a team and we need to come together to help our patients and our communities and ourselves. And I really love what you are doing and offering Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You are listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation's Pharmacists Focused on Mental Health. And we always appreciate you as pharmacists in the collaboration in the communities as well as with your physician partners. Please share this podcast, share on all social media platforms, tag us at, at Pharmacy Podcast. And as always, we thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.